Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Pay-Per-View, where I review the newspapers and big headlines over the week and place events and headlines in their true context in a weekly podcast. You'll have to excuse me this week, I've had some problems in the teeth department recently, so when I sound a bit different then that's why, but it should all be back to normal by next episode, so just have to bear with it this week. <laughs> and the first subject this week is anti-Semitism. This is In the Sun. Mass exodus. Jews could flee Germany on a massive scale if nation does not halt rising anti-Semitism, Minister warns. One in two Jewish people have considered fleeing Germany due to a rise in anti-Semitic attacks, the country's foreign minister warned today. Well, is it a rise or is it a perceived rise? Writing in Der Spiegel on the eve of the 75th anniversary of the liberation. Writing in Der Spiegel on the eve of the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, Haas said that Jewish people were facing daily abuse in person and online and that the country needed to address its Nazi past. It doesn't surprise me that nearly every second Jew in Germany has thought about leaving the country. We must urgently take countermeasures so that such thoughts don't turn into bitter reality and it doesn't come to a massive exodus of Jews from Germany. That people of Jewish faith no longer feel at home here is a real nightmare and a disgrace. 75 years after the liberation of Auschwitz, he wrote, According to the minister, Germany will push for tougher legal consequences for anti-Semitic acts and for more EU nations to make Holocaust denial a crime, which is currently illegal in Germany, Belgium and Italy. Berlin has also set up increased efforts against anti-Jewish hate speech and disinformation on social media. Mass wrote that perpetrators should feel the full force of the law across Europe. In Halle, eastern Germany, a gunman tried but failed to storm a synagogue before killing a passerby and a customer at a kebab shop last October. The foreign minister wrote how that was a perfect example of how Jewish communities needed better protection throughout Europe. Germany is set to contribute half a million euros, £420,000, to the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe this year, Mass said. The diplomat stressed the importance of educating young people on the horrors of World War II, which saw the killing of 6 million Jews. According to a YouGov survey, 56% of Germans were in favour of taking pupils to Auschwitz-Birkenau on school trips. Research had shown that a third of young Europeans know little to nothing about the Holocaust, he said. Auschwitz-Birkenau is a complex of over 40 concentration and extermination camps, operated by Nazi Germany near Oswiecim in occupied Poland during World War II. It was the central site in Adolf Hitler's so-called Final Solution and the Holocaust. And there's a great article in Heret from last week. Netanyahu exploits the Holocaust to brutalise the Palestinians. Benjamin Netanyahu did not invent the idea of leveraging the Holocaust for political gain. Yet, like so much else in current Israeli politics, he is taking even that low to new depths. According to Heret, Israel's Prime Minister intends to exploit the Fifth World Holocaust Forum, convening this week in Jerusalem to mark 75 years since the liberation of Auschwitz to call on world leaders to publicly back Israel's self-serving position that the International Criminal Court in The Hague has no jurisdiction in the occupied Palestinian territories. Netanyahu began this exercise Netanyahu began this exercise barely 48 hours after ICC prosecutor Pati Ben Sudan. Netanyahu began this exercise barely 48 hours after ICC prosecutor Fatou Ben Souda announced last month after five years of preliminary examination that she is ready to open an investigation into potential war crimes in the West Bank and Gaza pending an ICC judicial decision on jurisdiction. Goodness me, how long will that take? Wasting no time, appropriately. Netanyahu responded that new edicts are being issued against the Jewish people, anti-Semitic edicts by the International Criminal Court. 
This cynical reframing is staggering, both intellectually and morally. The Palestinians who live under Israel's occupation are a people bereft of rights. For decades, their existence has been governed by the arbitrary whims of their occupiers. They cannot vote for the government that controls every aspect of their lives. They have no army to defend themselves. They do not control the borders of their own territory or their ability to travel abroad, or even how long it will take them to get to the nearest Palestinian town, if even allowed to do so. They also have no recourse to justice through Israel's legal mechanisms. Israeli prosecutors and judges process Palestinians in the occupied territories through a justice system that delivers an almost 100% conviction rate. At the same time, this system works to ensure impunity for Israeli security forces who kill, abuse or torture them. For Palestinians, quite literally, the International Criminal Court is their court of last resort. Yet Netanyahu, backed by Israel's entire political leadership, is trying to quash even this faint hope. How dehumanising to insist on denying a people's last request to even an uncertain belated modicum of justice. How degrading to do so while standing on the shoulders of Holocaust survivors insisting that this is somehow being carried out in their name. Well, Netanyahu has no shame, so he will do whatever suits him and that which controls Israel. What a lack of historical memory and moral compass. Well, Netanyahu doesn't have a moral compass. It must take to ignore the key lesson the world gleaned from the ashes of the 1940s. That no person should ever, under any circumstance, be left bare of rights. Precisely because, as the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights tells us, disregard and contempt for human rights has resulted in barbarous acts which have outraged the conscience of mankind. Netanyahu goes even further, arguing that the very same ashes gives rise to the opposite conclusion, that there is a people, the Palestinian people, who should remain bare of rights under all circumstance, a bare life with neither land nor ballot, court nor justice, where freedom of movement extends only as far as the nearest checkpoint, where soldiers can enter any home at any time, where the only constant is how little control one has over one's life. Shame on you, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Shame also on any world leader who goes along with the travesty of equating a people's attempt to achieve justice with anti-Semitism. Anything that is in it, even in any way critical of Israel is anti-Semitism nowadays. The article continues, Taking this cowardly position does not only betray the Palestinians' hope, freedom and dignity, it joins in the slow death of the lessons that have guided humanity for the past 75 years and are now drowning in the rising authoritarian tide around the world. This is not the world that humanity tried to build out of World War II after the Holocaust, but it is the world of Putin, Trump, Modi, and Orban, Netanyahu and Bolsonaro. Indeed, we are already living in their cowardly new world, yet it remains in our hands to decide that the past painful lessons will be allowed to be turned on their head in order to further oppression or remain loyal to a vision of freedom and dignity, justice and rights for all. That's a brilliant article there in Heretz and what is happening in Gaza and the West Bank is genocide and no surprise because Israel is an apartheid racist state and we need to say that because that's the reality. And Holocaust denial is mentioned in the first article. Well, how about instead of sacking, deplatforming, or censoring anyone who makes these points and asks legitimate questions of Israel and Zionism, how about debating with them? You might learn something. Anyone seeking to censor ever thought about that? You might learn something. No, speakers just get deplatformed or censored because they're spreading hate speech. Maybe it's not hate speech, but merely ignorance, but you'll only know that by actually talking to them and finding out why they believe what they do. What these Zionist groups, elite Zionist groups, like the Anti-Defamation League, like B'nai B'rith, Sons of the Covenant, 
like the Anti-Defamation Commission in Australia, like Friends of Israel groups in, in Britain. They claim to be protecting Jewish people, but they're actually protecting that which controls them. What they're doing is equating statements, questioning whether the Holocaust ever happened with hate speech. And I'm not saying it didn't happen. Clearly, what did happen to Jews in Nazi Germany was unspeakable and unimaginable. But if you want to silence someone, then the claim of hate speech is a very effective method of doing so. Anything even mildly criticizing Israel, and these groups are on it. And I've explained in episode 10 what that's all about. Also, how can anyone be accused of downplaying or denying the Holocaust unless the official narrative is allowed to be questioned with all information, official and alternative, and all points of view on the table? It's not about protecting Jewish people from discrimination and historical, factual preservation. It's about stopping questioning of the Holocaust to ensure elite Zionists and associated organizations can continue to exploit the Holocaust. And ironically, Jewish people who died in the Holocaust for their own ends today, elite Zionists representing such organizations don't debate, they just throw mud and run. Anyone who's not willing to debate, and more than that shuts down dissenting voices, is clearly not confident of their view. Is clearly not confident of their view, and usually speech is censored because there's something to hide. Why is the Holocaust the only historical event in human history for which questioning the official narrative produces instant condemnation, vilification and censorship? What did the Nazis do? They engaged in propaganda. They burnt the books. We have digital book burning now with the Silicon Valley internet giants owned ironically by the cult which claims to have the interests of Jewish people at heart when they don't have a heart to start with. I explain who this cult are which owns Israel and their relevance to global affairs in the two-parter all roads lead to Israel. They have monumentally stitched up Jewish people and given them a history and a perception which is far from the truth. The irony of all this is that the people who most need to hear the truth of all this is Jewish people. The whole truth, unfiltered, uncensored, unbiased. And what would eventually become clear in such a situation is not only the scale of deceit and contempt this cult has displayed for Jewish people, but also that the closer you get to the truth of all this, the closer you get to the cult, and the more you get demonized by what I call elite Zionists, to distinguish them from regular Zionism. The demonization is not to target anti-Semites, it's to use the claim of anti-Semitism to protect not Jewish people but the cult and its agenda. And that's why the solution is to stand up and speak out no matter what the intimidation, because... As one researcher put it, they don't want to frighten us into not going here for any other reason than they know if we go here, so much is going to unravel. In truth, virtually everything would unravel because not only do all roads lead to Israel, but all roads lead to this cult who control Israel. And I, for one, am certainly not going to stay quiet about it. When enough people don't stay quiet, the cult is exposed and the game is up. And the next subject this week is anti-semitism this is in the sun mass exodus jews could flee germany on a massive scale if nation does not halt rising anti-semitism minister warns one in two jewish people have considered fleeing germany due to a rise in anti-semitic attacks the country's foreign minister warned today well is it a rise or is it a perceived rise writing in der spiegel on the eve of the 75th anniversary of the liberation Writing in Der Spiegel on the eve of the 75th 
anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz has said that Jewish people were facing daily abuse in person and online and that the country needed to address its Nazi past. It doesn't surprise me that nearly every second Jew in Germany has thought about leaving the country. We must urgently take countermeasures so that such thoughts don't turn into bitter reality and it doesn't come to a massive exodus of Jews from Germany. That people of Jewish faith no longer feel at home here is a real nightmare and a disgrace. 75 years after the liberation of Auschwitz, he wrote, According to the minister, Germany will push for tougher legal consequences for anti-Semitic acts and for more EU nations to make Holocaust denial a crime, which is currently illegal in Germany, Belgium and Italy. Berlin has also set up increased efforts against anti-Jewish hate speech and disinformation on social media. Mass wrote that perpetrators should feel the full force of the law across Europe. In Halle, eastern Germany, a gunman tried but failed to storm a synagogue before killing a passerby and a customer at a kebab shop last October. The foreign minister wrote how that was a perfect example of how Jewish communities needed better protection throughout Europe. Germany is set to contribute half a million euros, £420,000, to the Organisation for Security and Cooperation in Europe this year, Mass said. The diplomat stressed the importance of educating young people on the horrors of World War II, which saw the killing of 6 million Jews. According to a YouGov survey, 56% of Germans were in favour of taking pupils to Auschwitz-Birkenau on school trips. Research had shown that a third of young Europeans know little to nothing about the Holocaust, he said. Auschwitz-Birkenau is a complex of over 40 concentration and extermination camps, operated by Nazi Germany near Oswiecim in occupied Poland during World War II. It was the central site in Adolf Hitler's so-called Final Solution and the Holocaust. And there's a great article in Heret from last week. Netanyahu exploits the Holocaust to brutalise the Palestinians. Benjamin Netanyahu did not invent the idea of leveraging the Holocaust for political gain. Yet, like so much else in current Israeli politics, he is taking even that low to new depths. According to Heretz, Israel's Prime Minister intends to exploit the Fifth World Holocaust Forum, convening this week in Jerusalem to mark 75 years since the liberation of Auschwitz, to call on world leaders to publicly back Israel's self-serving position that the International Criminal Court in The Hague has no jurisdiction in the occupied Palestinian territories. Netanyahu began this exercise Netanyahu began this exercise barely 48 hours after ICC prosecutor Pati Ben Suda. Netanyahu began this exercise barely 48 hours after ICC prosecutor Fatou Ben Souda announced last month after five years of preliminary examination that she is ready to open an investigation into potential war crimes in the West Bank and Gaza pending an ICC judicial decision on jurisdiction. Goodness me, how long will that take? Wasting no time, appropriately. Netanyahu responded that new edicts are being issued against the Jewish people, anti-Semitic edicts by the International Criminal Court. This cynical reframing is staggering, both intellectually and morally. The Palestinians who live under Israel's occupation are a people bereft of rights. For decades, their existence has been governed by the arbitrary whims of their occupiers. They cannot vote for the government that controls every aspect of their lives. They have no army to defend themselves. They do not control the borders of their own territory or their ability to travel abroad, or even how long it will take them to get to the nearest Palestinian town, if even allowed to do so. They also have no recourse to justice through Israel's legal mechanisms. Israeli prosecutors and judges process Palestinians in the occupied territories through a justice system that delivers an almost 100% conviction rate. At the same time, this system works to ensure impunity for Israeli security forces who kill, abuse or torture them. For Palestinians, quite literally, the International Criminal Court is their court of last resort. Yet Netanyahu, backed by Israel's entire political leadership, is trying to quash even this faint hope. 
how dehumanizing to insist on denying a people's last request to even an uncertain belated modicum of justice, how degrading to do so while standing on the shoulders of Holocaust survivors insisting that this is somehow being carried out in their name. Well, Netanyahu has no shame, so he will do whatever suits him and that which controls Israel. What a lack of historical memory and moral compass. Well, Netanyahu doesn't have a moral compass. It must take to ignore the key lesson the world gleaned from the ashes of the 1940s, that no person should ever, under any circumstance, be left bare of rights, precisely because, as the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights tells us, disregard and contempt for human rights has resulted in barbarous acts which have outraged the conscience of mankind. Netanyahu goes even further, arguing that the very same ashes gives rise to the opposite conclusion, that there is a people, the Palestinian people, who should remain bare of rights under all circumstance, a bare life with neither land nor ballot, court nor justice, where freedom of movement extends only as far as the nearest checkpoint, where soldiers can enter any home at any time, where the only constants have little control one has over one's life. Shame on you, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Shame also on any world leader who goes along with the travesty of equating a people's attempt to achieve justice with anti-Semitism. Anything that is in it, even in any way critical of Israel is anti-Semitism nowadays. The article continues, Taking this cowardly position does not only betray the Palestinians' hope, freedom and dignity, it joins in the slow death of the lessons that have guided humanity for the past 75 years and are now drowning in the rising authoritarian tide around the world. This is not the world that humanity tried to build out of World War II after the Holocaust, but it is the world of Putin, Trump, Modi, and Orban, Netanyahu and Bolsonaro. Indeed, we are already living in their cowardly new world, yet it remains in our hands to decide that the past painful lessons will be allowed to be turned on their head in order to further oppression or remain loyal to a vision of freedom and dignity, justice and rights for all. That's a brilliant article there in Heretz and what is happening in Gaza and the West Bank is genocide and no surprise because Israel is an apartheid racist state and we need to say that because that's the reality. And Holocaust denial is mentioned in the first article. Well, how about instead of sacking, deplatforming, or censoring anyone who makes these points and asks legitimate questions of Israel and Zionism, how about debating with them? You might learn something. Anyone seeking to censor ever thought about that? You might learn something. No, speakers just get deplatformed or censored because they're spreading hate speech. Maybe it's not hate speech, but merely ignorance, but you'll only know that by actually talking to them and finding out why they believe what they do. What these Zionist groups, elite Zionist groups, like the Anti-Defamation League, like B'nai B'rith, Sons of the Covenant, like the Anti-Defamation Commission in Australia, like Friends of Israel groups in, in Britain, they claim to be protecting Jewish people, but they're actually protecting that which controls them. What they're doing is equating statements, questioning whether the Holocaust ever happened with hate speech. And I'm not saying it didn't happen. Clearly, what did happen to Jews in Nazi Germany was unspeakable and unimaginable. But if you want to silence someone, then the claim of hate speech is a very effective method of doing so. Anything even mildly criticizing Israel, and these groups are on it. And I've explained in episode 10 what that's all about. Also, how can anyone be accused of downplaying or denying the Holocaust unless the official narrative is allowed to be questioned with all information, official and alternative, and all points of view on the table? It's not about protecting Jewish people from discrimination and 
historical factual preservation. It's about stopping questioning of the Holocaust to ensure elite Zionists and associated organizations can continue to exploit the Holocaust. And ironically, Jewish people who died in the Holocaust for their own ends today, elite Zionists representing such organizations don't debate, they just throw mud and run. Anyone who's not willing to debate and more than that shuts down dissenting voices is clearly not confident of their view. Is clearly not confident of their view and usually speech is censored because there's something to hide. Why is the Holocaust the only historical event in human history for which questioning the official narrative produces instant condemnation, vilification and censorship? What did the Nazis do? They engaged in propaganda. They burnt the books. We have digital book burning now with the Silicon Valley internet giants owned ironically by the cult which claims to have the interests of Jewish people at heart when they don't have a heart to start with. I explain who this cult are which owns Israel and their relevance to global affairs in the two-parter all roads lead to Israel. They have monumentally stitched up Jewish people and given them a history and a perception which is far from the truth. The irony of all this is that the people who most need to hear the truth of all this is Jewish people. The whole truth, unfiltered, uncensored, unbiased. And what would eventually become clear in such a situation is not only the scale of deceit and contempt this cult has displayed for Jewish people, but also that the closer you get to the truth of all this, the closer you get to the cult, and the more you get demonized by what I call elite Zionists, to distinguish them from regular Zionism. The demonization is not to target anti-Semites, it's to use the claim of anti-Semitism to protect not Jewish people but the cult on its agenda. And that's why the solution is to stand up and speak out no matter what the intimidation, because... As one researcher put it, they don't want to frighten us into not going here for any other reason than they know if we go here, so much is going to unravel. In truth, virtually everything would unravel because not only do all roads lead to Israel, but all roads lead to this cult who control Israel. And I, for one, am certainly not going to stay quiet about it. When enough people don't stay quiet, the cult is exposed and the game is up. Talking about control from Israel tech billionaires and investors. This is in the Daily Mail. Donald Trump says Mark Zuckerberg might run for president and praises Elon Musk as a genius, comparing him to Thomas Edison and saying we have to protect people who invent the wheel. President Trump paid compliments to two billionaire tech CEOs in a sit-down interview with CNBC conducted on the sidelines of the World Economic Summit in Davos Wednesday. Davos is a town in Switzerland in the Swiss Alps that hosts the annual World Economic Forum which officially exists to improve the state of the world economy by engaging people in different areas of society like corporate heads and political figures and academics to try to find a way to solve the world's economic problems and try to find a way to run world economics more effectively. But officially it's about bringing corporate heads and political figures and academics together to coordinate the agenda, the agenda of the cult. In many ways it's like Bilderberg. The Bilderberg group basically does the same thing, except it's a more general focus. Bilderberg is not just economics. The article goes on. The president said politics could be in Facebook, co-founder Mark Zuckerberg's future, while he praised Tesla head Elon Musk's genius. I heard he was going to run for president, Trump said of Zuckerberg. That wouldn't be too frightening, I don't think. Zuckerberg is almost as bad as George Bush at giving a speech and even worse at answering 
interview questions. And he would just be another puppet president, just like Trump, just like Bush was and Obama. But what it would mean, of course, is the agenda of the cult-owned Silicon Valley giants, not least Facebook, of course, would massively advance more than with Zuckerberg not being president. Trump says Zuckerberg does have that monster behind him, alluding to Zuckerberg's social network and suggesting that he did not see the Facebook boss as a potential rival in 2020. I mean, this is the state of... I remember Kanye West at one point saying he was going to run for president. I don't know who would be worse. Trump also said Zuckerberg has done a hell of a job. Well, he has, in as much as he's responsible for what Facebook does in censorship and in advancing the artificial intelligence agenda and creating a platform that has led to anxiety and depression and suicide, in some cases, among young people. Great job, Zuckerberg. The Facebook founder and CEO's estimated net worth is $82.1 billion, according to Forbes, and Elon Musk's is $39.1 billion. Well, if you advance the agenda of the elite on the scale that they have, you do tend to become very rich. Backing both men is politically loaded. Facebook is under fire over political advertising, while SpaceX represents rival to Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin space firm. Facebook has come under intense criticism for not being more transparent with political ads, especially in light of the 2016 election meddling by the Russians that was exposed in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. The same Robert Mueller that concluded in his investigation that there was no Russian collusion with Trump in that election, which I talk about in episode 57. It has also been criticised for letting politicians lie in advertising on the platform. What about television stations that let politicians lie during election time in the live debates and through coverage on the news? That's fine, apparently. The situation with the social media platforms, as I've said before, is they want to censor because they're controlled by the cult which wants to censor. So they give the appearance that they're about the free flow of information when they're censoring on an enormous scale, as I talk about in episode 27 but they give the impression that they are all about freedom of speech and the free flow of alternative information and they get criticized by campaign groups or by politicians and they use that as the excuse oh well we didn't really want to censor but you know we we, we come under fire for this or we've um been told we should do this so we're gonna censor that's the plan, when they were always going to censor because they were created to censor. And in a book I've just finished, which is, I detail many of the connections between Silicon Valley, owned by the cult, and the military intelligence network of America, owned by the cult. The article continues. Facebook has also been criticised for letting politicians lie in advertising on the platform, an issue which prompted Joe Biden, the front-runner for the Democratic nomination, to call for a major legal change which would make Facebook legally responsible for claims made on its platform, all part of creating this incentive to increase censorship. Trump didn't have an opinion on the political ads issue, saying I'd rather him just do whatever he's going to do. Well, Trump is owned by the cult, which owns Silicon Valley, so and the military intelligence network was owned Silicon Valley. That's why basically nothing's been done to curtail the actions of social media that actually really does cause problems. Because Trump's owned by this cult, as I describe in 
detail in the previous episode. Facebook has also taken heat for letting fake news websites purposely doctor to look like news sites flourish on the network. Trump has dined with Zuckerberg at the White House and repeated Wednesday that the Facebook founder told him he was number one on the network. Trump also praised Musk, the founder of both Tesla and SpaceX, who has voiced his own opposition to Trump's climate change policies and backs Andrew Yang for the 2020 presidential race. Elon Musk is a contradiction in terms personified, if ever there was one. He talks about artificial intelligence could be the end of humanity, and he creates a company called Neuralink to connect artificial intelligence to the human mind and creates a situation increasing all the time where he sends satellites up to beam 5G Wi-Fi, which I talk about in episodes 8, 12, and 22, this disaster for human health at the entire planet, because 5G is the minimum needed for the technological agenda, which I talk about in episodes 10 and 11. That's the minimum power they need. And China now are talking about 6G, and satellites are needed for other agenda reasons, which I talk about in episode 60. Tesla are creating electric cars and driverless cars, which are all part of controlling travel. I talk about driverless cars in episode 34. And the agenda behind electric cars is basically the same. So that's Elon Musk for you. While interviewer Joe Kernan from Squawkbox mentioned Musk's car company, Tesla, the president wanted to talk about space. There is an agenda behind space, particularly going to Mars. That seems to be the, the one. Not that necessarily will happen in our lifetime, but at some point there does seem to be an agenda behind going to Mars and certainly colonizing space. That seems to be a, a theme which is worth watching, I think. Anyway, Trump said, you have to give him credit. Musk is talking about, I spoke to him very recently, and he's also doing the rockets. And he does good at rockets too, by the way. I never saw where the engines come down with no wings, no anything, and they're landing. Trump was referring to some of the rockets made by Musk's company, SpaceX, which returned to Earth upright. And I was worried about him because he's one of our great geniuses, and we have to protect our genius, Trump said. Well, is he a genius, or is he just well-funded and supported because he's advancing the agenda. I know which one I'd lean towards. You know, we have to protect Thomas Edison. Well, he's not the modern-day Thomas Edison at all. That Thomas Edison inventing the wheel was was genius, and that was an invention which we actually need. I don't see any evidence of that with Elon Musk. Musk is one of our very smart people, and we want to cherish those people, the president added. Trump supporting Musk and Zuckerberg would not have anything to do with Trump being controlled by this cult. I'm sure there's no possibility of that. Musk met Trump at the White House in January 2017 when Trump invited CEOs to the White House for a listening session and agreed to serve in an advisory role returning to the White House the next month. But in June that year, Musk quit his role when Trump said he would be pulling the US out of the Paris Climate Change Accord. His latest talks with the president had not been disclosed until now. Trump surrounded himself with a number of business leaders during his trip to Davos, Switzerland for the annual forum. On Wednesday morning, he started his day with a breakfast with American CEOs including Apple's Tim Cook, Salesforce's Mark Benioff, Morgan Stanley's James Gorman, Major League Baseball Commissioner Robert Manfred, Bank of America's Brian Moynihan and more. Man of the people, Trump. Overall, Trump met with 31 company heads Wednesday at breakfast, the White House CEO said. To follow on from my previous episode, Apple, elite Zionist owned, Morgan Stanley, elite Zionist owned, Bank of America, elite Zionist owned. 
as the people he met with, Apple's Tim Cook, Morgan Stanley's James Gorman and Bank of America's Brian Moynihan. The article continues, The president was feeling so good about his meetings that he scheduled an impromptu press conference Wednesday afternoon to take a victory lap before flying back to Washington. It's been a tremendous success. Everyone's talking about America's unprecedented economic successes, Trump said as he opened the presser. Really the talk of the town, so to speak. Not the towns that... Well, not the towns and the streets that homeless people in America are sleeping in, where typhus is breaking out. Not the talk of those towns. They don't consider this massive economic success. But Trump's a man of the people. I mean, I know he is because he said he was. He said he drained the swamp. And then he has a breakfast with the swamp and appoints the swamp to his cabinet. And in America now, they talk about the deep state. And it's become a mainstream term. And, you know, we need to look past the people that we see, the Trumps, the Zuckerbergs, the Musks, and look at who controls them and why. And once again, this cult will come into view if we do that. And that's one of the reasons why we need to do that. Climate change. This is in the Daily Mail. Prince Charles calls for green taxes as he meets Greta Thunberg in Davos after flying in on a private jet and pitches radical new world economy to tackle climate change a day after Donald Trump rejected profits of doom. Well, I think I've said before that the agenda is to... In fact, I have said before. The agenda is to re-image banking and finance with a cashless society and a one-world central bank dictating all global finance from a central point. So Prince Charles pitching a radical new world economy is exactly in line with that. Prince Charles demanded global green taxes as part of a radical push to tackle climate change in a seminal speech at Davos today. Prince of Wales met Greta Thunberg at the World Economic Forum after flying into Switzerland on a private jet but did not hold talks with Donald Trump. Charles even saddled at the 17-year-old Swedish activist as he asked VIPs, do we want to go down in history as the people who didn't do anything to bring the world back from the brink? The only limit is our willingness to act and the time to act is now. He then begged delegates, including wealthy global business leaders, this is why I need your help, your ingenuity and your practical skills to ensure that the private sector leads the world out of the approaching catastrophe into which we have engineered ourselves. We haven't, because humans don't cause climate change, as I talk about in the book I've just finished writing, pay-per-view in print. I absolutely tear apart the idea that humans cause climate change, and at the end of the book, I bring everything together by detailing how human caused climate change justifies virtually everything on the wish list of the cult's agenda. Speaking just 24 hours after President Trump used his speech to reject environmental profits of doom, Charles called for new retail taxes, greener fuels and hydrogen-powered planes by 2030. 2030, that's the year that keeps recurring. In his first keynote speech to the conference in 30 years, held by environmentalists as a landmark moment and branded royal meddling in global affairs by critics, he said... Global warming, climate change, same thing, and the devastating loss of biodiversity are the greatest threats humanity has ever faced and one largely of its own creation. You'll notice that since warming stopped, basically in 1997, they started calling it climate change. They can't call it global warming because people would say, well, it's not warming anymore. Charles added, now is the time to take it to the next level. In order to secure our future and to prosper, we need to evolve our economic model. 
The Prince of Wales flew to Switzerland on a chartered plane costing an estimated £15,000 before jumping in an electric Jaguar, but he missed Donald Trump who carried out his final press conference and then left the summit just as the royal took to the stage. See, these people who lecture about climate change, including Greater Thunberg, by the way, they have a massive carbon footprint because, with the exception of Greater Thunberg, many of them know it's a load of crap, but they know, but it's a load of crap designed to be sold to the people on behalf of the cult which owns these figures who lecture. The heir to the throne later met Greater Thunberg, but the US president dodged her for a second year using his own speech yesterday to point to the blast prophets of doom on climate change and snubbed their predictions of the apocalypse in favour of optimism. Well, I don't agree with Donald Trump on many things, but on that he's absolutely correct. He is at least pointing out that the focus on human caused climate change is a nonsense. And today Mr. Trump lashed out on Miss Thunberg again telling her not to focus on the United States but other nations before saying demands made by activists like her are unrealistic to a point where you can't live your lives. Well, the whole goal of human caused climate change, as I've said all along, is to re-image society as I detail in pay-per-view in print and to dictate the fine details of people's lives. Mr. Trump met Charles twice on visits to Britain in 2019, the first for a state visit last June and then for NATO talks in December. In their first meeting at Clarence House over the summer, the Royal spent 75 minutes longer than expected with the leader of the free world, trying to convince him of the dangers of global warming. Trump is said to have called the US clean and pointed the finger at other countries. I'll come back to that in a minute. The President then told Piers Morgan on ITV's Good Morning Britain the following day he had a great meeting with Charles but said the Queen's eldest son did most of the talking. Greater Thunberg watched Trump's Davos speech yesterday and afterwards introduced a talk on averting a climate apocalypse in which she scolded the world's elites for not doing enough to deal with the climate crisis. Well, the reason enough is not done to deal with the climate crisis is two reasons. A. We ain't causing it. And B. The cause ain't on this planet. It's the sun as I detail in pay-per-view and print. Prince Charles smiled as he shook Thunberg's hand, but while they will have discussed climate change, details of what they said have not yet been revealed. Oh, I can't wait to find out. Around an hour earlier, Charles told leaders gathered at the forum, Ladies and gentlemen, you all have a seat at the table as this must be the year that we put ourselves on the right track. He added, do we want to go down in history as the people who did nothing to bring the world back from the brink and trying to restore the balance when we could have done? Well, it doesn't matter because there's nothing to do. Just think for a moment, what good is all the extra wealth in the world gained from business as usual if you can do nothing with it except watch it burn in catastrophic conditions? This is why I need your help, your ingenuity and your practical skills to ensure that the private sector leads the world out of the approaching catastrophe into which we have engineered ourselves. We've not, because we don't. In his speech, the Prince of Wales suggested 10 practical steps to avert climate crisis, such as invest in STEM, science, technology, engineering and maths to help make sure new technologies are able to make it to the market. Are they the technologies that are planned to be part of the technology agenda? Rethinking how we can put nature at the heart of the world economy and investing in sectors such as agriculture and forestry. Away from the turmoil caused by Harry and Meghan's emigration to Canada, Charles travelled from St. Gallen to Davos in a fully electric Jaguar I-Pace rather than using a helicopter, but did fly to Switzerland in a private jet which will produce six tonnes of carbon passenger compared to 0.19 tonnes on a commercial flight. The London to Davos leg of the journey would cost around £15,000, $20,000 by private plane alone and will cost the same again as he heads to Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories later. 
Charles usual ministerial jet voyager is believed to be undergoing scheduled maintenance. Today, he warned in his Davos speech that the world is in the midst of a crisis that is now, I hope, well understood. Misunderstood, more like. He added global warming, climate change, and the devastating loss of biodiversity are the greatest threats humanity has ever faced. He described his dedication to encouraging corporate, social, and environmental responsibilities in that uphill struggle. But he added, now it is time to take it to the next level in order to secure our future and to prosper we need to evolve our economic model. The Prince used his speech to launch a new sustainable markets initiative to help financial markets become more sustainable. He outlined 10 practical actions to drive the approach including identifying game changers and barriers to transition and investing in STEM and innovation adding this included AI where that does not seek to challenge or replace unique human characteristics and intuition. Well what doesn't include AI nowadays? So many things. Charles, on a positive note, said the world was further ahead than we might think in achieving the goal of a profitable but sustainable future, citing developments such as plans for green engines for ships and opportunities to develop commercially viable hydrogen-powered and electric aircraft within a decade. The prince, who was facing his youngest son, the Duke of Sussex, quitting royal life, took the opportunity to praise his eldest, the Duke of Cambridge, for his environmental work. Critically, we must foster innovation, and here, if you would allow me, I would like to acknowledge the new Earthshot initiative of my son, the Duke of Cambridge, which seems to extol the sort of horizon-lifting approach we need in order to give us hope, he said. In his speech in the Swiss resort, Charles said that being socially and environmentally responsible should be the cheapest option available to all. We cannot expect consumers to make sustainable choices if these choices are not clearly laid before them, he said. As consumers increasingly demand sustainable products, they deserve to be told more about product life cycles, supply chains and production methods. For a transition to take place, being socially and environmentally conscious cannot only be for those who can afford it. If all the true costs are taken into account, being socially and environmentally responsible should be the least expensive option because it leaves the smallest footprint behind. Charles has vowed to use his platform to get the message out, to get the propaganda out. With 2020 being seen as the super year, kickstarting a decade of action for people and planet, I intend to do my utmost to ensure that the message of urgency, systemic change, collaboration and integration is heard, he said. Decade of action. Last year, Extinction Rebellion was saying we've got 12 years to save the planet, 11, 12 years, which takes us to 2030, 2031. The decade of action, 2030 is a recurring year for so much, but including the technological agenda which is fundamentally connected to climate change. The heir to the throne hopes his Sustainable Markets Council, which is supported by the World Economic Forum, will bring together leading individuals from public and private sectors, charitable organisations and investors to identify ways to rapidly decarbonise the global economy and make the transition to sustainable markets. The word sustainable is very relevant to this whole agenda. Over the past few months, Trump has made Thunberg a target on social media. Last month, Trump reacted to the teenager being named Time Magazine's 2019 Person of the Year by mocking her serious demeanour. That was one of the most predictable events of last year, Thunberg being named Person of the Year because she's helping to sell this agenda. Trump shared a congratulatory tweet about Thunberg's win from actress Roma Downey. So ridiculous, the president responded. Greater must work on her anger management problem. Trump had also weighed in September after Thunberg made a passionate plea to world leaders during the United Nations General Assembly to do something about the warming earth. Greta Thunberg rose to national prominence after her fiery climate activism went viral. Trump, however, told reporters in Switzerland today that he doesn't believe her criticism of the US and other developed countries are valid. Instead, he blamed others and said Thunberg should focus on other countries as well. No, I didn't actually, Trump said, regarding Thunberg's message, but I would have loved to have seen her speak. I did not. No, not at all. You want to have the cleanest water on earth? I've said before. Water is full of chemicals and this week, as I record this, a report by the Environmental Working Group 
was published which said that contamination of drinking water is far more prevalent than previously reported. And even ABC News in 2018 had an article on its website called Threshold for Harmful Chemicals in Drinking Water Lower Than Thought, says study. And it won't just be America, there's chemicals in Britain and other countries in the water supply. We want to have the cleanest water on Earth. We want to have the cleanest air on Earth, Trump said in Titan, the US environment. Our numbers, as you saw, we had record numbers come out very recently. Our numbers are very, very good. Our environmental numbers, our water numbers, our numbers on air are tremendous. We have to do something about other continents. We have to do something about other countries, he admitted. When we're clean and beautiful and everything's good, but you have another continent where the fumes are rising at levels that you can't believe. I mean, I think greater ought to focus on those places, he continued. We have a beautiful ocean called the Pacific Ocean with thousands and thousands of tons of garbage flows toward us, and that's put there by other countries, he said. So I think Greta has to start working on those other countries. Trump called Thunberg very angry in a new interview after saying climate activists were out of touch alarmists in areas of yesterday's fortune tellers during his appearance Tuesday morning at the World Economic Forum. Fortune tellers on climate change who predict day after day after day where we're going to see catastrophe and it never happens. Thunberg had been seated in the audience looking on, but Trump told the Wall Street Journal afterward that I don't really know anything about her before calling her angry. <laughs> the Prince's tour, the highest level visit by the royal family to Israel and the Palestinian areas, will mark the 75th anniversary of the liberation of the former Nazi concentration camp Auschwitz-Birkenau. The heir to the throne will deliver a speech at the World Holocaust Forum being staged at Yad Vashem, the World Holocaust Remembrance Center in Jerusalem, on Thursday, joining around 40 world leaders and other dignitaries. The prince has been invited to the major event by Israel's president, Reuven Rivlin, and he will meet the statesman during his two-day visit and Palestinian president Mahmoud Abbas, who has invited Charles to visit the occupied Palestinian territories. While in the Middle East, the prince will also visit Bethlehem, the birthplace of Christ. So we're told, if you believe that, I don't. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex's carbon footprint is also under scrutiny. Harry, Meghan and Archie first flew the 4,700 miles from London to Vancouver together at the end of November for the start of their six-week Canadian holiday. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex returned to the UK in early January without their son, leaving him with his nanny and the Duchess's best friend Jessica Mulroney before dropping the bombshell they were quitting the senior royals. Hours later, Meghan flew back to Canada from Britain, rumoured to be on a BA flight from Heathrow to Vancouver, and is back staying in the £10 million waterfront mansion they stayed in over Christmas and New Year with plans to stay there for the foreseeable future. Harry is now united with his wife and son after another flight to Canada on Monday night. On the subject of Greater Thunberg in other countries, here's a historian, Nar Ferguson, and he came out recently saying that he doesn't see Greater Thunberg in Beijing or Delhi. Here's an article on prisonplanet.com. Historian slams Greater Thunberg. I don't see her in Beijing or Delhi. Historian Nar Ferguson has slammed Greater Thunberg's climate change hypocrisy at Davos, asking why don't I see her in Beijing or Delhi? Teenage environmentalist Thunberg gave another hysterical speech at the Global Confab yesterday in which she claimed, Our house is still on fire. Your inaction is fueling the flames by the hour. We are still telling you to panic and to act as if you loved your children above all else. See, that's the biggest way the cult agenda is sold. Get people in fear, make them more suggestible, and then they'll look outside of themselves for someone or something to save them from what they've been manipulated to fear. Thunberg said, we don't want these things done in 25, 2030 or even 2021, Thunberg said, we want this done now. Well, the action to deal with it is meant to be in place by 2030. Ferguson, senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, questioned why Thunberg isn't directing a message to the biggest polluters on the planet. 
60% of CO2 emissions since Greta Thunberg was born are attributable to China, but nobody talks about that. They talk as if it's somehow Europeans and Americans who are going to fix this problem, which is frustrating because it doesn't get to the heart of the matter, said Ferguson. If you're serious about slowing CO2 emissions and temperatures rising, it has to be China and India you constrain, he added. Noting that while Greta travels to New York and Davos, I don't see her in Beijing or Delhi. Exactly, because China is the blueprint for the West. China, North Korea, these places, in terms of the way they're run, today is the West tomorrow. The West still has to pay some lip service to freedom and democracy. Not that the two of them are the same. Democracy is just dictatorship by the majority. But has to pay some lip service to a reasonable society. China doesn't, so it can advance the cult's agenda much quicker. Which is one of the reasons why China is so advanced technologically in terms of using that technology for censorship and surveillance and robotics, etc. And so they don't want to change China. They want China to be as it is, and they want the West to be the same. It's the West they want to change. That's why Greater Thunberg doesn't go to places like China, because it's the West that is planned to change. And she won't know that, but she just won't go there, because the adults who control her will make sure she only goes to countries that are planned to be changed with action on climate change and what that entails. Britain's CO2 emissions peaked in 1973 and are now at their lowest level since Victorian times, reports The Spectator. Air pollution has plummeted since then with sulfur dioxide levels down 95%. Britain's population is rising but our energy consumption peaked in 2001 and has since fallen by 19%. This global pollution even if you believe wholeheartedly in the decidedly shaky science behind man-made global warming, the West is doing more than its part. But we're the ones being lectured to not travel, not eat meat, and not have children, despite already being in massive demographic decline. Well, let's look at those three, shall we? Not travel. The idea is to end private travel and replace it with, as we've known up to this point, and replace it with electric cars and driverless cars. And for underground high-speed underground rail travel to be if not the main means of travel, then close to it, which is why high-speed rail networks are being built now, like HS2 in this country and others. Not eat meat. This whole focus out of nowhere, I mean, I'm not in totality, but in terms of the massive support for it out of nowhere, on veganism, particularly veganism, what is that going to mean for farmers? The idea is to get people off the land and into smart cities and... That has a massive connection to human caused climate change. But this is the agenda I've talked about before. Get people in smart cities and off the land and not have children. Well, depopulation is a massive part of this agenda, as I've talked about before. Meanwhile, and that play plays into this whole thing as well. Meanwhile, Africa, India and China continue to wantonly pollute and none of Greater Thunberg's fury or the attention of the media is ever directed their way. On top of this, Greater continues to have her measures amplified by the lights of Prince, four private jet trips in 11 days, Harry and Arnold Garage, full of tanks and muscle cars, Schwarzenegger. Another political name selling the climate change hoax, Arnold Schwarzenegger, whether he knows it or not. The humour calls climate change propaganda is vast and all-pervading and it needs to be exposed because not only will it show that the changes in society on the back of human caused climate change have no justification but also because just as with elite Zionism and the cult the network of manipulation which allows a lie as big as human caused climate change to justify change in global society will be revealed and human caused climate change justifies everything on the cult's agenda and that's why it needs to be exposed <laughs>
The last subject this week is keeping on the theme of climate change. Australian bushfires. This is in the Daily Mail. Tony Abbott says every extreme weather event in Australia is being used as proof of climate change by eco-fanatics who have become religious in their beliefs. Tony Abbott says climate change zealots are wrongly using every extreme weather event as undeniable proof of global warming, with the former Prime Minister denying it was the main cause of Australia's unprecedented bushfire crisis. Mr Abbott launched a stinging rebuke of eco-warriors at an event for the Heritage Foundation, a right-wing think tank in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, where he also lauded U.S. President Donald Trump's first term in office. The former Liberal Party leader and volunteer firefighter said deadly bushfires were inevitable on Australia and pointed to the century-old Dorothea McKellar poem, My Country, which describes the country as a land of droughts and flooding rains. The former Liberal Party leader and volunteer Firefighter said deadly bushfires were inevitable in Australia and pointed to the century-old Dorothy McKellarpot in my country, which describes the country as a land of droughts and flooding rains. Mr Abbott said climate change activists were almost religious in their beliefs that global warming was to blame for the ongoing fires which have devastated a record amount of land. Absolutely they are, and for many of them it will be because they are so focused on climate change that they see it everywhere. And for others, the minority who were knowingly pushing this, what I would say is the scam of human-caused climate change is because they're pushing an agenda. I'm not one of those people who sees the current bushfires as confirmation of all we have feared about the changing climate, he told the Sydney Morning Herald. I see the current bushfires as the sort of thing we're always going to be prone to in a country such as ours. Mr. Abbott said those who believe climate change is the most important factor in extreme weather events use it as the reason for fires, floods and Hurricane Sandy which devastated the Caribbean in 2012. If you think climate change is the most important thing, everything can be turned to proof. I think that to many it has almost a religious aspect to it, he said. Exactly. Mr. Abbott, Australia's 28th Prime Minister, led the country between 2013 and 2015 while serving 19 years as a volunteer firefighter for the Rural Fire Service. He supported Prime Minister Scott Morrison's stance that climate change had some role in causing bushfires and praised his response to the state of emergency caused by the fires. Mr Morrison said earlier this week hazard reduction was just as important in reducing bushfire risk as emissions reduction. The Prime Minister had been under fire (laughs) for taking an overseas holiday in the early part of the bushfire crisis which had killed almost 30 people and destroyed thousands of homes. Well, mention of the Heritage Foundation is very interesting because the Heritage Foundation, founded in 1973 by Paul Weyrick, Edwin Fawner and Joseph Coors of the Coors Beer Company, is a very influential think tank centred in Washington and focused on politics and the corporate world. For example, during the reign of Margaret Thatcher, she imposed an infamous tax called the poll tax, which basically meant that earnings were irrelevant and everyone paid the same rate of tax. This was seen as massively unfair and people power ruled to overturn this tax. Just shows what's possible if people come together, irrespective of the labels we are encouraged to identify with of gender and race and income bracket, etc. At the same time, during the 1980s, Ronald Reagan in America introduced an economic policy, came known as Reaganomics, which basically mirrored Thatcher's economic policy. This was not by chance, it was because their economic policies and their time in office was largely influenced by the Heritage Foundation, primarily focused on public policy, elite agenda policy. This think tank is ultimately connected to the CIA, say no more, and the CIA, military intelligence, is controlled by the cult. 
The Heritage Foundation has a long history in election campaigns and influencing. The Heritage Foundation has a long history in election campaigns and influencing the administrations and political leaders, including every American president since Reagan, and society in general through associations with giant corporations. They're worth checking out to see the full extent of their global influence. Obamacare was another project of the Heritage Foundation, and that's been disastrous for Americans health-wise and financially. The Heritage Foundation has ties to the Mont Pelerin Society, which advocates for f- free enterprise in place of government policy, in other words, corporations and big business taking over society, which is exactly what I've been writing and talking about for years, is the plan. According to FAIR, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, in autumn of 1988, the South Korean National Assembly uncovered a document revealing that Korean intelligence gave $2.2 million to the Heritage Foundation during the early 1980s. Ultimately, all these apparently diverse intelligence agencies are all working to the same agenda, the cult's agenda, and are all basically one intelligence network. The Heritage Foundation is yet another glimpse, following on from the previous episode, into how American and British and politics in general is manipulated by outside forces. Neil Sanders, mind control expert and researcher, talks about the Heritage Foundation in far more detail in episode one of a show on Iconic called The Program, which also talks in that episode about social media and data gathering, a Cambridge Analytica scandal, and other subjects. I said in the previous episode that the bushfires may have been purposely generated using directed energy weapons and the connection in this context between them and the California wildfires of 2018. I talked about one of the reasons why this may have happened in that episode. Another reason is using the disaster to justify changes in society to allegedly tackle climate change, but actually to transform human society on an incredible scale, which I detail in pay-per-view in print. Anyone who reads that part of the book will, unless they go through some serious mental gymnastics to kid themselves, never again believe a single word of the official narrative of human-caused climate change without checking it first. And nobody should believe anything without checking it first, because doing so is what has allowed a lie on the scale of human-caused climate change to become the colossal lie that it's become, and to justify changing global society on the scale that it has from any vestige of freedom, of what we know of freedom at the moment anyway, as much as we're allowed to experience, to fall on totalitarian control. That's what human-caused climate change is designed to justify, and we're seeing the pieces be moved into place. The solution is never taking anything as read, no matter how official the source, in fact even less so if it's an official source, and always checking it for yourself first.